Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Can you picture what that would be like if you were in his shoes? Relief for relatives of the victim of a fatal hit and run in Abbotsford after the accused driver comes forward. Plus, I was a guy in, in one of those SROs waiting for a check. The volunteers helping deliver mail in Vancouver's downtown east side after service was temporarily suspended. There's lots of reasons to do that just because of our shared history. And a BC man's mission to get Canada Post stamps to support Ukrainian refugees. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we begin with breaking news. Surrey RCMP now say a disturbing incident outside a local mosque this past week was not a hate-motivated incident. Late Wednesday night, police received a report that water had been thrown from a moving vehicle at three pedestrians who had left a mosque near 124th Street. Minutes later, the same vehicle was reported to have left the roadway nearly hitting one of the pedestrians. RCMP now say they have identified and interviewed all the parties involved, including the six victims and two suspects. The investigation found that it was not a racially motivated hate crime and that all occupants of the suspect vehicle were teenagers who are part of the Muslim community. Police add they are continuing to try to resolve this matter through either the B.C. Prosecution Service or extrajudicial measures such as a restorative justice approach. There is relief tonight after a driver accused of a hit-and-run crash in Abbotsford has done the right thing and turned himself in to police. As Julia Foy reports, it's a small measure of comfort for the family of the crash victim. Shocked. Shocked that they... First, I was glad, very glad that they turned themselves in because that's got to be really scary and overwhelming. Ford mom Michelle Lilick is relieved a young man has come forward to police saying he was the driver involved in a hit-and-run accident that left her son, 38-year-old Dale Lilick, fighting for his life. And I thank them for that. I can't imagine. Who. I heard he's only 24, the person's only 24. It's got to be scary. It's gotta, I know he's got family too, and so it's got to be really overwhelming. On Wednesday, Abbotsford police released video from Hillcrest and Clearbrook Road showing a Toyota 4Runner leaving the scene. By Friday morning, a 24-year-old man and his lawyer showed up at the police station. We've identified him as the driver. He's uh, obviously the uh, registered owner of the vehicle. He's identified himself as the person that was behind the wheel at the time of the collision. So we are confident that it, that is, in fact, uh, who we are uh, here to deal with. Walker says several witnesses and members of the public have contacted police, but this investigation will take time to complete. Sometimes people don't understand why the individual is not in police custody, why he hasn't gone to courts. Unfortunately, uh, we need to present all the evidence in the matter, uh, which also includes the uh, person that was injured in this case. That person is Dale, who is still in critical condition, but Saturday morning started showing signs of waking up from his induced coma. One of his sons that was talking to him when we saw that eye flicker, and so it was like his soul connected to his baby, and it just is like heartwarming and heart-touching and so it just gives you hope 
that he's there and he's coming back and he's going to be okay. Michelle admits that after losing her job recently due to another family member's medical emergency, the financial burden on the family is growing. I actually had to go back to the job that let me go to beg them for money to be able to get to go see him. So right now is really hard because we have to be there daily and it may be for weeks and maybe for months. A friend has started a GoFundMe page for Dale and his family to help on the long road to recovery. Well, I'm very hopeful and then they said that his vitals are stable and he's young and he's strong so I'm holding on to that too and then of course God I trust God so I'm holding on to my faith. Julia Foy, Global News. Langley RCMP are investigating a deadly crash involving a motorcyclist. First responders were called to Willowbrook Drive near 196th Street at about 9.30 last night after a motorcycle and Lexus sedan collided. The driver of the motorcycle died and the female passenger was rushed to hospital in serious condition. The driver of the sedan remained at the scene and is cooperating with investigators. Anyone who was in the area at the time of the crash and may have dash cam footage is asked to call Langley RCMP. A Maple Ridge man has been identified as the victim of Thursday's fatal shooting in that city. 41-year-old Arthur Aaron Joseph Como was gunned down in the 12300 block of Carlton Street around 2 in the afternoon. Ridge Meadows RCMP found Como wounded after reports of shots fired. Police and paramedics tried to save him, but he succumbed to his injuries at the scene. Como was known to police, but homicide investigators say it's too early to know if he was linked to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. We're looking to speak with uh, any of his associates or friends who, as we can build a timeline of the events in the days leading up to this um, homicide investigation. Uh, we are also looking for dash cam video, CCTV, or any witnesses that might have been in the area on April 28th, around between 1.30 and 2.30 p.m. in the area of uh, Carlton Street and 124th Avenue, and 216th Street and Dudney Trunk Road of Maple Ridge. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team will also hold a community engagement event on Tuesday, May 3rd. The public can come forward with information or questions between 3.30 and 5.30 p.m. at Maple Ridge Secondary School. Well, with street chaos worse than ever, the normally quiet Vancouver Chinatown Merchants Association spoke up at a special council meeting on public safety this week. Kristen Robinson has more on their concerns and why the city's police chief wants a better response from the province to the host of social issues converging in the downtown east side, Gastown and Chinatown. Six days a week for the last two decades, Tracy Toe has owned the aisles of Forum Home Appliances. What she can't control is what happens outside her family business. The level of chaos now is 10 times worse than it, what, what it was in 2010. The year Chinatown was cleaned up for the Olympics. Street disorder now worse than ever, Toe says, and it's driving customers away. With all of the Asian hate crimes, the hypodermic needle stabbings, they don't want to be the next victim. The guardian lions at the Millennium Gate repeat targets of vandalism, along with the walls of Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden. Even a symbolic dragon lantern hacksawed off in broad daylight, prompting Chinatown merchants to take their concerns to City Hall. It, it really strikes at the heart of, of, of the community. Much of the mayhem occurring meters away 
from the community policing center. That increased police presence has not yielded results. The VPD, busy with violent crime, says Michael Tan, and more funding for social services is needed, not more police. You know, that's akin to holding up a tea towel to an open fire hydrant. Right. You know, we're trying to mop up the water or shovel water, you know, left and right. But, you know, it just continues to pour out. And that's why we need things like mental health supports, drug addiction treatment and supportive housing to really turn off that fire hydrant. Vancouver's top cop says the province needs to better coordinate a holistic safety plan to tackle multiple intersecting issues. Nobody's in charge of the grand picture, um, and particularly troubled neighborhoods in our city like the downtown east side, Gastown, Chinatown. Who's bringing that all together? It's too disjointed. BC's public safety ministry says it's working on it, but there's no single answer. A multi-level approach is necessary and includes mental health supports and prosecution efforts in addition to policing and other resources. We need support from all three levels of government in order to make uh, Chinatown a wonderful place again. Um, to, to clean it up and make it vibrant. While a fix is ironed out, Toe says Chinatown is open for business and the more people on the streets, the safer it will be. Kristen Robinson, Global News. During Thursday's special council meeting on public safety in Vancouver, the park board was asked how park rangers are helping reduce crime and assist the homeless population. The park's control bylaw was amended in July 2020 to allow temporary overnight sheltering in parks. People are required to pack up in the morning and leave, and the goal is for park rangers to partner with police on enforcement. The park board recently hired an urban relationships director to build connections with those sheltering in places like Crab Park. Staff are working closely with Vancouver Coastal Health and BC Housing to support people while keeping green spaces open for recreational use. We need to make it safe for everybody who's going to do that, including those sheltering. So finding out what those needs are, but also working with the advocates to, to support what they're looking for and what they're doing, but really concentrating on Who's there? Who's in the park? What do we need? And we don't just have um, overnight sheltering that you would, you know, think just in the downtown east side. These are things that are happening citywide. And these are conversations that are ha uh, had on a very daily basis in a very productive, very meaningful, very respectful way. So uh, they're there to support that. And, and, uh, and to be honest, it's very successful. Uh, the conversations are very positive and, and we, get, um, we get individuals um, essentially complying with the bylaws. This past January, the B.C. Supreme Court rejected the Vancouver Park Board's injunction request to clear out a portion of Crab Park and prevent people from sheltering there during the day. Voters in the riding of Vancouver Quilchenna have less than two hours left to head to the polls today as the B.C. Liberal leader attempts to win a seat in the legislature, but not if another candidate can pull off a major upset. With more, we're joined now by our Richard Zussman at the legislature in Victoria. So, Richard, what do you think we can expect when the results come in later tonight? The expectation here, Neethu, is that Kevin Falcon will give himself a good chance to earn his seat back here at the B.C. Legislature. He first won the party's leadership. Now he is hoping to be the MLA for Vancouver Quilchenna. So you mentioned it. Polls close at 8 p.m. So if you're watching and you live in Vancouver Quilchenna, watch until the end of the news and then you can go head to those polls and make sure you vote before 8 o'clock. Falcon's up against the NDP's Jeanette Ash as well 
well as Wendy Hako from the Greens. There are two other candidates on the ballot as well. This has historically been a very safe seat for the Liberals, and the sense I'm getting is voter turnout has been low. So again, a reminder, there is still time. If Falcon does win tonight, it will take a bit of time to actually approve those results from elections BC, but the hope from the Liberals, if it's a successful night tonight, he will have his chance to challenge Premier John Horgan Nithu in this House before the session is done by the end of May. And Richard, some major shifts at Elections BC might yeah. actually mean we end up getting the results quicker than usual. What are some of those changes that have been made? You and I have watched a lot of elections, Nithu. Mm -hmm. It often takes time to get those first results. But with the new system, the way they are doing it is all the ballots are inputted directly into a vote counting machine throughout the day. The votes will not be counted by hand. Those machines will print out a result. We've seen that in other jurisdictions and municipal elections here. So the expectation is we could find out who wins this seat if there's no technical difficulties as early as around 8.50 tonight, so just 15 minutes after those polls close. Like you said, no reason for our viewers not to stay tuned to the end of the news hour before <laughs> they tune into our special coverage. Thanks very much for that, Richard Zussman in Victoria Forest tonight. And the by-election special with Richard Zussman airs on BC1, CKNW Radio and online starting at 8 o'clock. RCMP on Vancouver Island say they will consider seizing property, including vehicles involved in illegal demonstrations. West Shore RCMP are seeking dash camera, video footage and witnesses leading up to and during the protest that blocked rush hour traffic on the Trans-Canada Highway near Langford for four hours on April 20th. Police are also looking for evidence of vehicles involved in or assisting the highway protest. Two Save Old Growth activists are already facing criminal charges after the pair was removed from a large metal barrel filled with concrete. RCMP say they will be contemplating seizing offence-related property for forfeiture. The Directors Guild of Canada, B.C., says the union has requested their employers, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers and the Canadian Media Producers Association, return to the bargaining table. But they have yet to hear back. The Guild issued 72-hour strike notice on Tuesday, and that deadline passed on Friday afternoon. All productions currently filming in B.C. have safe harbour protection, so they are protected from labour action. Any new productions not covered by the agreements could be subject to labor action. After the break, mail delivery in the downtown east side. I know what it's like uh, to feel isolated and alone. The group stepping in to support Canada Post staff after some neighborhood service was suspended because of safety concerns. Plus, police prepare to fend off another potential occupation in Canada's capital on the second day of protests in Ottawa. On Monday, mail service is set to return to a downtown Eastside neighbourhood after it was temporarily stopped because Canada Post cited safety concerns raised by its workers. As Amatagahi reports, the resumption of service is due in part to a community-led solution. Jay Hockley walks the streets of Vancouver's downtown east side every day, knowing exactly what it's like to be displaced. I have lived on the streets and I know what it's like uh, to feel isolated and alone and that no one cares. He now works for Mission Possible, a charitable organization getting people back into employment and this week 
playing a large role in resuming mail to some of the city's most vulnerable residents. Unfortunately, Canada Post had stopped mail service down on two blocks in, in the downtown east side. And when that happens, it's really devastating for the people who live there. There's hundreds of people who uh, count on their mail being delivered for, you know, for, for money, for bills, for everything that we need to, to keep our lives moving. Citing health and safety concerns by employees last month, Canada Post decided to temporarily stop delivering door-to-door mail on blocks 0 and 100 of East Hastings Street. Those who live and work there immediately up in arms unfair and kind of crazy and kind of yeah like can they even do that stop our mail is it because i thought it was an essential service you have to pay your bills you have to get these services that are available to everybody that to take more away that everybody else is getting seems so unfair we're gathered here today because canada post has suspended mail on the downtown east side Matthew Smedley says Mission Possible contacted Canada Post and offered to have its members walk the mail route with carriers. That has since led to a successful pilot project. We are now uh, providing support for their mail deliveries uh, as community navigators to help uh, service a, a particularly challenging area. Jay Hockley is one of those navigators determined to keep people from being forgotten about. And I've been on both uh, sides of the spectrum. I I was a guy in, in one of those SROs waiting for a check and I know the anxiety level that can happen. I know that uh, what happens if the mail's late or if a check doesn't show up. Coming up, a statement to survivors. The mixed reaction as the head of the Anglican Church meets with residential school survivors in Saskatchewan. Plus, the growing pleas for a safe evacuation of a steel plant sheltering Ukrainians. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In Ukraine today, Russian forces carried out missile strikes across southern and eastern parts of the country. Residents cleaning up in an eastern Ukrainian city, windows of this apartment complex were blown out when a missile struck nearby. Residents sifted through their belongings to see what they could salvage. A Russian missile also destroyed an airport runway in the port city of Odessa. Meantime, Ukrainian officials say some 100,000 people are still in the besieged city of Mariupol, where destruction is widespread. And one person was killed and five injured in a bombardment of Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv. Flames and smoke scar the remnants of the attack in an industrial and residential area. Ukraine's president says the situation around the city remains difficult. Russian forces continue their push in eastern parts of the country, but Ukraine's military says it recaptured a strategically significant village nearby, evacuating hundreds of people. 
The leader of the Anglican Church issued an apology in Saskatchewan this weekend after meeting with survivors of Canada's residential school system. Global's Nathaniel Dove reports and a warning some viewers may find this story distressing. Welcome, Bishop. Welcome. The Archbishop of Canterbury has come to meet survivors of Canada's residential school system, including Dennis Sanderson. The abuse, the sexual abuse, the many things that happened to me at that school, it hurts. Sanderson was forced to attend the residential school at Gordon's Reserve in Saskatchewan. Last week, the chief there said they had discovered 14 possible grave sites. The facility, just one of nearly three dozen Canadian schools run by the Anglican Church between 1820 and 1969. Sanderson says Justin Welby needs to know the damage the Church of England inflicted upon children, many of whom still carry that trauma. I don't know, I didn't know how to handle a child. I didn't know how to nurture a child. Sanderson wants an apology. For the Anglican Church to say that I'm sorry. For the Roman Catholic Church to say I'm sorry. I accept that. The Archbishop is here now to listen. They're meeting at James Smith Cree Nation in a room surrounded by symbols of empire, tradition, and reminders of the horrors of the past. The Archbishop's words and acknowledgement. In ignorance, needing to hear, and in shame, needing to signify that shame and respect those on whom such terrible injustices were committed. Welby says it's impossible to know all the stories, but says he wants to become deeply aware of his ignorance. Nathaniel Dove, Global News. There is a 24-hour crisis line available for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their or a loved one's residential school experience. The number is toll-free. It is 1-800-721-0066. Day two of the protests in Ottawa demonstrating against pandemic measures are underway. Although most of the protesters have been peaceful, there have been arrests as police try to prevent a repeat of what happened this past winter. Global's Dan Spector reports. They promised it would be loud and they deliver. Hundreds of motorcycles rumbling through Ottawa as people lined the streets to cheer them on. The ride carefully monitored by police who are restricting vehicles from entering certain areas. The bikers just one of several groups with different messages descending on the city for a weekend of protest. Honoring the veterans. Straightforward. Honoring the veterans. The bikers had links to a Saturday morning rally at the National War Memorial. Speakers angry about the cenotaph being fenced in during the convoy protests in the winter that lasted more than three weeks. They held a wreath-laying ceremony in the presence of several Canadian Forces veterans. This will allow us to give back the dignity to our fallen that was unfairly taken away from us. But not all veterans were on board, some taking part in a counter-protest. Every conspiracy, every nutter, every grift asking for money, they're attaching veterans to try and have legitimacy. Some at the veterans' rally praised the occupation earlier this year, many of them having taken part. 
The convoy in Ottawa was a glimmer of hope. I'm worried that we're going to end up a communist country. A few hundred people from another group gathered for an anti-vaccine, anti-mandate rally on Parliament Hill. There were some heated exchanges between protesters and fed-up Ottawa residents. We don't want this around here. Send them all home. After facing strong criticism, police are being assertive as they try to avoid a repeat of the convoy. Seven arrests were made at a Friday night rally. At least two people were taken into custody on Saturday, including this man reportedly breaking bail conditions after being arrested here in February. Officers are handing out hundreds of tickets and towing dozens of vehicles. We wanted to make sure that our communities and our neighborhoods are protected. At the same time, we want to make sure that people have the right to protest. The weekend is set to conclude with a church service Sunday morning. Many Ottawa residents hoping this time the demonstrators leave when it's over. Dan Spector, Global News, Ottawa. Tragic news from the entertainment world. Country music star Naomi Judd has passed away. So I would just sit there and think about all this stuff and just sort of feel the fans' love. And Until the 1990s, the Judds were the most commercially successful duo in country music history. Naomi Judd performed with her daughter Winona. Together, they earned five Grammy Awards and were set to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame on Sunday. The Judds were set to launch their first tour in more than a decade this fall. Judd was also the mother of actor Ashley Judd. A family statement said they had lost their mother to the disease of mental illness. Naomi Judd was 76 years old. To health matters now. After living through the COVID-19 pandemic for more than two years, some Canadians are now less afraid of contracting the virus. As Global Charmin Somani explains, experts say that mindset will affect how we deal with future outbreaks. 25 months, six waves, and several vaccines later, many Canadians have gotten used to living with COVID-19. I'm not worried as much as before. We are going in a positive direction. I think we need to embrace that. I wouldn't particularly say scared, but like, I'd say realistically cautious. An Ipsos study surveyed over 1,500 Canadians and found the fear of contracting COVID-19 is trending downward from 56% in January of this year to 44% in April. Infectious diseases researcher Matthew Miller says Canadians are ready to live with the virus. We're probably past the phase of really severe lockdown. If a more pathogenic virus were to emerge, meaning a variant that causes more severe, severe illness, there will be some ability to attenuate that with vaccines and hopefully with these antivirals that are now available. Miller says COVID-19 and its waves won't be disappearing from Canada anytime soon. We'll just develop better tools to tackle its severity. More tailored recommendations depending on personal risk factors. Update the vaccines so that they're a better match for the variants. The hope is as we move through the summer, um, we'll see the current wave uh, toned down and as we move into fall and winter we'll see case rates climb again and so it would be great if a we had updated vaccines but also approval of vaccines for younger children. Charmin Samani, Global News. Coming up next, training dogs for duty. The dogs are trained to either track or air scent uh, human odor. The search and rescue operations these canines are being prepared for and what it takes to certify them. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
All right, we've got meteorologist Yvonne Shell here for a look at the forecast. What do we have in store for the weekend, Yvonne? Well, we are going to see dry conditions, but there is a little bit of a blip in the forecast, depending on where you are across the province, and we may see some fog in the mix. But first off, we managed to see a few breaks there across Metro Vancouver. It's drier to the airport right now. We've got temperatures sitting at 12 and more of a northwesterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Highs today climbed up to 13 degrees. We're actually close to the average for this time of the year that sits at 14. On the Almanac, record-wise, 24 four degrees and that was set back in 1976. Now overnight tonight we do have some cloud cover even fog in the mix and that'll take us in towards the morning hours so a heads up some fog patches and then we've got cloud cover it'll be overcast for the day it'll be dry through the day and through the afternoon with that cloud cover temperatures getting up to 16 degrees. Here's the break that we're anticipating that's from the precipitation but the next weather maker that is on deck is going to move in across the province. Now for the south coast we are going to see that moisture picking up it'll likely be late for tomorrow evening and then taking us in towards our Monday morning. So we are going to see a soggy start for our work week and back to school. That'll be Monday morning and then drying out as we get in towards the evening. Rainfall amounts have taken this to Monday night, 5, 10, cent, 10 millimeters rather in a few spots. Upwards along the North Shore Mountains could see higher amounts. Now the northern half of the province though through the day today, tomorrow rather, will be tracking that rainfall. Areas inland for the northeastern corners of the province may still see that slight chance for some wet flurries changing over to showers. More cloud cover is going to roll in for much of the central interior but remaining dry through the day and for the southern half of the province southern interior breaks temperatures pleasant even into the low 20s a bit breezy at times a few spots in the southern interior could see those winds picking up with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour but the bulk of the moisture or the chance for some showers is going to move in on monday now, along the south coast, the island could get clipped with that rainfall earlier in the day, afternoon and evening along the north and central regions of the island. But most areas for Metro Vancouver will start to see that moisture and rain developing. It'll be Sunday overnight, taking us in towards our Monday. We've got periods of rain and then it'll dry out. We've got cloud cover so far for Tuesday, Wednesday. Highs between 15 and 16 degrees. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Search and rescue canines and their handlers have become an essential part of teams right across the province. So there was a large contingent sharpening their tra tracking skills during a training session in the Okanagan. Global's Victoria Famia reports. Sixteen search and rescue canine teams from across the province took part in a weekend-long training program in Kelowna. The dogs specialize in missing person calls, and part of this training will allow the canine teams to practice their tracking skills in different types of terrain. Canine's awesome. I mean, they've got a superior nose. Uh, they can smell awesomely. We uh, look at uh, a dog team being equivalent to probably 20 to 30 ground, uh, ground searchers in optimal conditions. So they can really bring home a lost person uh, quickly if you get them in the right area. A dog's sense of smell is about 40 times more sensitive than a human's. The dogs are trained to either track or air scent uh, human odor or articles of clothing that they've dropped. This isn't like a bloodhound where you give it a t-shirt and it smells that particular person. A retired horse veterinarian from Revelstoke is here to become a canine handler for the first time and is looking forward to getting her puppy in the coming days to begin her training process for becoming a canine handler is really um, one of diligence and getting the right mentors. I am very lucky with this group of people that I'm working with. 
The course, which brings in retired RCMP dog handlers to act as instructors, is an annual requirement for volunteer search and rescue canine teams. It's just part of the hundreds of hours of yearly training and certifications to meet RCMP police dog standards. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. Talented and cute to boot. <laughs> On that note, Barry is here for a preview of what is coming up in sports. Barry. Well, maybe the cute part. <laughs> uh, well, Canucks season, of course, is over, so thoughts going towards next year. And all the players say, we know there's changes coming. Just make minor ones because they're very confident in the group. We'll hear from uh, Bruce and some of the players talking about what's ahead for them and another Blue Jay win in baseball as well. Coming. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Also ahead, wildfire season worries. We have a very short window of opportunity to be able to get to the bog with some of this stuff. The B.C. mayor's voicing concern over the province's wildfire response plan. After a devastating fire season last year, the B.C. Wildfire Service will not have officers stationed in two North Thompson communities this summer. And that has interior mayors concerned about response times. Our report is from CFJC News. The B.C. Wildfire Service has told the mayors of Barrier and Clearwater that fire respondents for wildfires will come from Kamloops. Clearwater Mayor Merlin Blackwell says if this summer is anything like last year's fire season, that arrangement isn't satisfactory. With the new bar that the wildfire um, of 2021 set, um, we have concerns about capacity. Uh, we have concerns as small communities, uh, ourselves and Barrier, about um, what we need to do to get prepared uh, moving forward uh, for this summer and for future summers. Barrier Mayor Ward Stamer says he and residents are worried about the response time to fires if crews are dispatched from Kamloops. There's a high level of concern out there for sure. And a lot of people are hoping that, you know, we will have enough resources for the next fire season to be able to do whatever we possibly can. But again, we have a very short window of opportunity to be able to get to the bottom of some of this stuff, make sure that we clear up some of these concerns, make, make sure that we have enough people that are adequately trained. The BC Wildfire Service states fire staffing comes down to multiple problems locally and provincially. We're having a recruitment and retention problem in some of our bases and in our program overall, which I don't think is unlike any other industry that's finding challenges fulfilling uh, all the vacancies in the workforce. They believe that everything's fine, and yes, they've got some challenges, but they'll they'll be there for us when, when the fire season starts. Well, the fire season is here, and I believe that they'll do everything in their power to help us out. But we still have some unanswered questions. Local fire stations may need to prepare for a summer similar to 2021's. Connor Gunn, CFJC News. New lawn watering restrictions begin tomorrow across Metro Vancouver. Lawn watering is now down to one day per week for residential and non-residential properties. Specific watering days are based on whether the property is an odd or even numbered address. Manual watering is now limited to three hours in the morning and two hours in the morning for automatic systems. The rules remain in effect until October 15th. The measures are in response to growing water demands due to population growth and extreme hot, dry weather. According to the City of Vancouver, 1.795 billion litres of potable water was used in one day across Metro Vancouver during last year's heat dome. That's just shy of the all-time record of 2 billion litres used. Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break and later, refugee relief. I want to see 
some institutional support. The growing popularity of a BC man's petition to create an emergency charity stamp for Ukraine. Don't miss McHappy Day across Canada. On May 11th, visit a participating McDonald's and a portion of the proceeds from all the food and beverage items sold will be donated to the Ronald McDonald House Charities and other local children's charities. Get immersed in the world of dinosaurs at Jurassic Quest, coming to multiple locations across BC. Observe life-size animatronic dinosaurs, see a live raptor show, rides, inflatables, and more. JurassicQuest.ca for info. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast and potentially some comforting words for Canucks fans, Barry. Uh, yeah, well, we'll see how that uh, plays out. Neat, but the, uh, the Canucks gave it all they had, really, but their season uh, did come to an end last night. Five points short of a playoff spot in the West. That brutal 8-15-2 and start, just too much to overcome. Although 92 points in a lot of seasons would have been enough to get in. Even though they missed the playoffs, there's a very strong feeling amongst this group that they have the right mix and that they will prove they are ready to get into the playoffs and beyond with this core group of players. You know, we, we fought to the enemy. Huggy had a great speech after one of our games, just talking about our culture and, you know, how going into next year, these uh, games are important for us just to compete and play hard. And, you know, we want to be a hard team to play against. So, um, you know, that's kind of how we came into these last two games. The team has been in the playoffs don't know, in, a, in a while. And, you know, we want to be a group that gets this team into the playoffs and competes for Stanley Cup year in and year out. So, uh, yeah, start somewhere. Yeah, I would love, uh, I would love this. This is a, it's a great place. I think uh, it's a team that's on the rise it's a team that, you know, only lost 15 games. You know, we're something like 24 games over 500 here. So, I mean, uh, I don't know why we wouldn't be excited. You know, last eight home games, we've got points in all of them. Um, there's a lot to be excited in the summer. And, uh, and uh, you know, with the way Abbotsford's going and anytime you have young players winning and having a good chance at the in the American League, that means that, that they're going to come up and be good players in the NHL at some point. So there's a lot of exciting things to come. Canucks players will hold their end-of-season media conference tomorrow. Management and coaches will speak later in the week. But it's pretty obvious the players love Bruce Boudreau and would want him back, but it's not their decision. But I think he has made coming to work much more enjoyable for these players. And each of the Canucks' core players, Demko, Horvat, Miller, Pedersen, Hughes, and even Besser, has gotten better under Boudreau. That's what you want in a head coach, a guy who can make the stars shine. I expect Boudreau will be re- re-signed to a multi-year extension, but I'm wrong a lot. Don't count on it. All right, AHL action. AHL season coming to an end today. Abbotsford loses 6-0 in Manitoba. They know they will play Bakersfield, the Oilers farm team, in the first round. But if Bakersfield uh, wins tonight, the series is down there. If they lose, then it will be up in Abbotsford. Two out of three in the first round. Also... Stanley Cup playoff matchups are now set in the West. It is Dallas and Calgary, L.A., Edmonton. Oilers start their series Monday. Flames begin Tuesday. And it's Nashville, Colorado, and St. Louis and Minnesota. That should be a good one. In the East, it's Washington. 
taking on the uh, Florida Panthers. That gets going Tuesday. The Maple Leafs have the uh, two-time cup champs to get by in the first round. That starts Monday at 4.30. And then it's Boston and Carolina also meeting. And Pittsburgh and the Rangers, that series gets going Tuesday. Well, the say the Vancouver Giants first round series against Everett has been wild and bizarre is an understatement. The first place silver tips finished the season with 100 points, 47 more than the eighth place Giants, who admittedly have underachieved this season. But try to explain their first round series, which is now tied at two games apiece after the Giants wild and woolly 11 to 6 win last night in game four. Goal scoring has not been a problem for either team in this series. Defenseman Alex Cotton, a hometown boy from Langley, fired two in from the point, including that one. Giants led 5-4 in the second. And then the super Swede, Fabian Lysel, down the left side, goes top shelf. 6-4 Vancouver after two. Silvertips got two quick ones to tie it early in the third, but then Cotton's shot goes in off Zach Ostapchuk's skate to make it 7-6. Giants exploded for five in the third, including the first ever Western League goal for Kyle Bocek. 11-6 the final. Giants' most ever goals in a playoff game. The old record was nine. And they are underway in Everett for game five, and the Giants have the lead at the intermission, and uh, they're trying to pull off the upset. Game six back at the Langley Event Center Monday at seven. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Astros having a healthy George Springer all season long will be huge for the Jays. Springer leads off the game with a home run against his former team. That just clears the fence and left. one nothing Toronto. And then next time up, Springer, well, he does it again. It's another dinga for George Springer. Sixth homer for George. 2 nothing. Blue Jays in front, and that would be enough for the Jays because their pitching was outstanding. Jordan Romano was there again to close it out. He will zip the 98-mile-per-hour fastball to freeze Nico Goodrum looking at strike three. Tenth save of the year for Romano. Jays win 2-1. Solid month of April for Toronto as they improve to 14-8 this season. English Premiership, Manchester City taking on Leeds. City looking to jump back in front of Liverpool for first after Liverpool won 1-0 over Newcastle earlier in the day. It was never in doubt. 13th minute, Rodri with the nice header off the free kick. 1-0 Man City. Second half, now 2-0. Phil Foden with the beautiful pass to Gabriel Jesus who finds net. 4-0 the final. Man City lead Liverpool by two points. Four matches to go in the EPL season. PGA Tour is in Mexico for the Mexico Open. Long-hitting Cameron Champ sewing some uh, nice touch with the short game. Beautiful chip shot here to within a foot. Led to a birdie, held the lead for a bit, but finished the day tied second at 13 under. It's John Rahm who's got the lead. He's also uh, showing some great touch with the short game. This one would also lead to a birdie, and John Rahm has a two-shot lead at the Mexico Open at 15 under. The BC boys, Nick Taylor, Roger Sloan, Adam Svensson, all missed the cut and are not playing the weekend. Well, they don't come much tougher than Tristan Connolly, the lower mainland mixed martial artist who has been out of the octagon for exactly a year after undergoing a major neck surgery. But he was back in the octagon in Vegas tonight looking for another UFC victory. Now, we know this sport is not for everyone to watch. There is some violence, so if you don't want to... Uh, watch these highlights. Best to turn away right now. Connolly, 36 years old. He's uh, 
fighting as a featherweight, 146 pounds, 14 and 7 pro record, very savvy, smart student of the game, and as tough as they come. He was in a battle today against American Darren Elkins, late first round, a big elbow from Connolly, but also got tagged. Elkins won the round. Third round now, Connolly throwing another vicious elbow that finds the mark, and then later Tristan will connect with the right hand. Uh, but Elkins was the better fighter at five takedowns and uh, wins a unanimous decision. But another gritty effort from Tristan Connolly always gives a full effort. And these guys want to do it. No one's forcing them. They love that sport. It's not for everyone. But uh, I interviewed Tristan. He's a great guy and uh, good to see him back. Absolutely. Right. Thanks very much, Barry. And we'll be right back with a BC man's effort to create the first ever refugee relief Canada Post stamp. Well, there have been many grassroots fundraisers to help the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. But a Vancouver man is proposing a unique Canadian campaign to support the cause. Here's Paul Johnson. I better take it, otherwise I'll keep phoning. I'll come back to that soon. If you thought the world of stamp collecting was a sleepy backwater, just spend a while with Brian Duff. You know the new book on Hastings Mill is out now? At All Nations Stamps and Coins in Vancouver. And you may conclude otherwise. The next bid is 33. The next bid is 145. Hi, Paul. Will you hold, please? When we caught up with Brian Saturday, his phones were literally ringing off the hook for a stamp auction. The business is alive and well. Next bid is 82.50. And Duff is also busy with new ideas. One of them taken straight from the headlines. As a human, I'm horrified by what's happening in Ukraine. With his decades in the business, Duff recalls several special issue stamps that raised a lot of money for charity. One big hit was a U.S. Postal Service stamp that helped raise money for the fight against breast cancer. So when Duff saw the immediate success of this stamp, newly issued by Ukraine to capture the spirit of their resistance against Russia, he got to thinking. I thought that having a stamp that would recognize Ukrainians' contribution to Canada is important at this moment in history. And I thought that Canada Post has an infrastructure where they could provide that service. With no special connection to the stamp visionaries at Canada Post, Duff took to the Internet and started a Change.org petition. So far, a thousand people have signed on. Given our close connections to Ukraine, he thinks it's natural for Canada to issue a special stamp. And the money, he suggests, could go to the Red Cross or any established charity that's helping with refugees from the war. And with his gut instinct for things that become valuable over time, he could be on to something. Incredibly, the Ukraine managed to issue a million Russian warship stamps and sell them all out instantly to people all around the world. And now they're selling for enormous premiums in the internet auctions. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Powerful idea indeed. Thank you very much all for sharing some of your weekend with us. That is all the time we have for tonight. Chris Dow will be here at 11.